a series in the Psalms which are helping us to consider our worship and especially the shape of our worship, what we call our liturgy. And we're doing this because it's good to reflect on what we do on Sundays. It's important. But also because of the elements of what we do here on Sunday should shape our lives, should be a part of our weeks as followers of Jesus. And so we've considered the call and our response of delight. Uh, We have considered the confession of sin and assurance of pardon. Uh, We talked last week about our consecration by God's word, the reading and the preaching of scripture. And today uh, we come to the table. Uh, We come to talk about the movement of communion, which is a part of our worship every week. And I just need to acknowledge as I talk about communion uh, that as with many of the subjects that we've dealt with, it is huge. (laughs) And so I just simply cannot deal with every question. Uh, There are centuries of debate about the meaning and significance and how we should practice this meal and and on things like that. And I can't touch on every question. If you have questions afterwards, feel free to contact me and we can have a conversation. Uh, But let's look at Psalm uh, 23 together and talk about this table that Jesus has given to us. I'll read the whole psalm. Hear now the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, would you help us now as we come to these familiar words? Would you help us to hear them anew with with a freshness that helps us to feel the power that is expressed here of belonging to you? Would you, by your spirit, open our eyes and our ears, our hearts and our lives to receive what you are saying to us, to know that it is good. To be comforted and challenged and changed by it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. That little aphorism actually has its roots in a statement made by a 19th century German philosopher named Ludwig Feuerbach, the most German of all names. (laughs) He said a man is what he eats. And he made that statement as an attack on religion. And in particular, as an attack on Christianity. Feuerbach was a materialist. He was arguing that we... Our world, all that we come into contact with, all of reality, 
is merely physical and nothing more. And so a man is what he eats. What's ironic about that statement is as an anti-Christian statement, it is a very Christian thing to say. You are what you eat. Yes. And that is why at the heart of Christian worship, there is a meal. There is bread. There is a cup. Because you are what you eat. Meals are very significant in the Bible. In fact, you can tell the story of Scripture as the story of people eating and drinking with God. You see that pattern here in Psalm 23. Where the poet, presumably David, sings of his relationship with God as a relationship Through food, green pastures and drink, still water, a table, an overflowing cup. You are what you eat. And these meals in the Old Testament aren't necessarily equivalent with communion, with the meal that Jesus has given to us, but they do anticipate And therefore illuminate the meaning and the purpose of this table. And I think that's why some of the earliest Christians sang Psalm 23 as they received the meal of communion. So what I want to do this morning is I want to come to this song and I want to talk about the table. And as with many tables, this table has guests And it has a host. And I want to look at both sides of the table. And so we'll ask, who are the guests and who is the host? First of all, at this table, who are the guests? The guest who sings Psalm 23 isn't a sophisticated participant at a high-end dinner party. No, he's a sheep who can't find food and drink. The basic sustenance of his life on his own. He does not live in uninterrupted ease. He is scared for his life. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. The guest who sits down at the table in Psalm 23 is starving. He's tired. And he is frightened. Why? Well, because he's on a trip. He is hungry, scared, and tired because he is traveling. This is a travel song. It starts with wandering sheep. It ends with the arrival at a house. And in between, there is this dark valley. This is the song of a person on a trip. And you need to understand that in the ancient world, traveling was not something that was easy Pleasant or safe. It was extremely risky and dangerous. And so hospitality for ancient travelers wasn't a luxury. It was a necessity. It was a matter of life and death. It was a matter of survival for someone on the road to open their home and provide food and shelter. 
David imagines his whole life as a dangerous journey. He imagines his decisions and his actions, his desires and his fears as part of a risky trip. And as a traveler, he sees himself as wholly and completely dependent on the hospitality of God. And this imagining of his life comes not only from his creativity, it also comes from his memory as an Israelite. The valley of the shadow of death is actually one Hebrew word. And it's used elsewhere in the Old Testament to refer to the desert. The wilderness is the valley of the shadow of death, which should trigger our memory of the biblical storyline. Of a major chapter in the story of God's people who lived and wandered for 40 years between Egypt and the promised land in the wilderness. They walked for 40 years through the valley of the shadow of death. And remember, that chapter began with a meal. It began with God's people sitting down in the presence of their enemies, the Egyptians, and eating the Passover with blood painted on their doorposts. And throughout their wanderings again and again, God intervenes with his hospitality. And he provides food, manna from heaven, and water and protection from all sorts of threats. So that history has become a part of David's identity. It's become a part of his perspective on his life. He understands that although he lives in the promised land, he and God's people have not yet fully arrived at the life that God intends for them. And so they are on the way. On the way. They are travelers. They are on a risky and dangerous journey. And they are in desperate need of God's ongoing hospitality. That history which shaped David's imagination, it's our history as well. That history is our identity as well. Again and again, the New Testament connects our situation to the wandering of God's people in the desert. Walking through the valley of the shadow of death. We live between the liberating actions of Christ's death and resurrection. And the restoration when he returns and makes all things new. And so we live in the desert. We live on the way. We live as part of a dangerous journey. And so like David, we live in desperate need of hospitality. That's how we come as guests to this table. We should come as vulnerable travelers. I think I've told you about Mrs. Edwards before. Mrs. Edwards was a woman in the church where I grew up. And she was the quintessential southern cook. And she took it on as part of her mission in life to feed the pastor's family regularly, which included me. (laughs) And I remember as Mrs. Edwards would call my dad and invite us over to her house, those conversations always ended the same way. 
She would extend the invitation. My dad would say, thank you. We would love to come. What can we bring? Mrs. Edwards would say, don't bring anything. Just come hungry. That's how we should come to this table. That is how to be a guest at God's meal. It is to come hungry. Don't come qualified. Don't come bringing your service as a qualification for you to receive God's hospitality. Don't come confident because of your badge of moral fidelity. Come hungry and scared and tired. That's how to be a guest at God's table. Is to come in desperate need. Understand, all you bring to this meal is your need. All you bring to your ongoing relationship to God throughout the week is your need. So come hungry. Come with questions like, how can I even keep going this week? How can I continue faithful in my work, in my marriage, in my friendships as a parent, as a student? How can I continue obedient when the power of temptation seems so overwhelming? How can I love my neighbor as myself? When that is such a daunting and confusing call sometimes. How can I work for what is good and just and right when evil and injustice seem so dominant in this world? How can I continue in my disappointment, in my sadness, in my anxiety, in my anger? Come to the table with those questions. Come with those desires. Come with those needs. You are on a journey in desperate need of hospitality. And so come to this table weary and wanting. But wait a second. Come weary and wanting. But, but how did David start this song? He said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How is it possible for him to make that claim? How can he say, I shall not want? Well, it wasn't because he was without need, that is clear. He can say, I shall not want, because at the table, there are not only guests, but there is also a host. So secondly, who's the host? And of course, obviously, God is the host. But I want us to note a few aspects of God's hospitality in this psalm. Certainly, his hospitality is sufficient. As David's shepherd, God's provision perfectly meets the traveler's needs. He provides guidance. He provides the basic necessities of food and water. He provides protection from enemies. 
So God's hospitality is sufficient, but it's more than that. God's hospitality is not only sufficient, it is excessive. It is enough, and it is also more than enough. Right? So there is a table. But it is a table in the presence of enemies. That's not only protection, that is triumph. This meal is a victory celebration. And there is this high honor of the anointing with oil. An honor given only to the most special of guests. People like kings and priests. And there is this cup. Not of water, but of wine. So full, too full, and it's spilling all over the place. God's hospitality is not only sufficient, it is joyfully excessive. And it is excessive not just once, but again and again and again. David, as he gets up from the table, the hospitality doesn't stop there. He says, as I leave the table, goodness and mercy follow me. Not threatening enemies, but goodness and mercy. And I leave with the confidence that I will return. I will return to the house of the Lord forever. Hospitality is sufficient. It is is excessive. And it is persistent. David can say, I shall not want. Because he can say, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But isn't that just David's personal experience? How do we know that God is this kind of host for us? Well, Jesus, God in the flesh, he hosted a meal with his disciples the night before he died. And as I've already referenced, it was the Passover feast. And as the host, he would have told them the Exodus story and reminded them of what they were celebrating. But he took a further step in this meal. He took the bread. Bread of daily provision. And he handed it to them and he said, this is my body. Which will be broken for you. And he took the wine. Wine of overflowing joy. And he handed it to them. And he said, this is my blood. The blood of a new covenant, a renewed relationship with God. Blood shed for the remission of sin. It is significant that Jesus did not hand them meat. The Passover meal involved meat of the lamb. But he didn't hand them meat. Why? Because he was the lamb. The shepherd became the lamb. You see, Jesus ate that meal in the presence of his enemy. The one who would betray him. The one who would turn him over to his enemies. Who would crucify him. And as he was crucified, the shepherd became the lamb, sacrificed for our sins. 
As Jesus served his disciples this most significant of meals, he said, don't eat just this meal just once. Eat it often. He says that to them and he says that to us as well. Why? Because this is where we experience God's hospitality. It is in Jesus that we come to know God as a host. In a better way, a greater way, even than David in Psalm 23. It is at this table that we come and we know God's hospitality. He welcomes us every week. He welcomes us to his sustaining presence and favor. And he sends us, followed by his goodness and mercy. Because of what Jesus has done for us. As one theologian said, this meal is divine love become food. It is divine love become food. The gift of love through Jesus that we taste not only on Sundays, but that we are sustained by throughout the week. But maybe as you think about that, as you think about a meal that in which we feast on God's love, maybe you're like the poet and pastor George Herbert. He wrote a third poem entitled Love, and he heard this invitation. He wrestled with this invitation from God. And he said, love bade me welcome. Yet my soul drew back. Guilty dust and sin. And he goes on to say to God's voice, the voice of love inviting him, he goes on to say, you should send my shame to where it deserves. I cannot sit down at this table. Maybe that's you here this morning. Maybe as you look at the bread and the cup and begin to consider their significance. God's love towards you in the body and blood of His Son. God's excessive hospitality offered through Jesus. Maybe as you consider that, your soul draws back. Guilty of dust and sin. Maybe you sit here ashamed. Convinced that you are unworthy to be at this table. Well, I want you to hear what Herbert heard. He went on to write, Know you not, says love, who bore the blame? You must sit down, says love, and taste my meat. And finally the poet responds, so I did sit and eat. Let that be your response. Here, through Jesus, God's excessive, eternal hospitality is extended to you. Here, He communicates His love to you and sends you in the hope of a greater feast. An eternal feast. Between the shepherd who became a lamb and His bride 
the people, the community of those who believe in him. Because of Jesus, you can hear the voice of love inviting you. And you can sit. And you can eat. You are what you eat. What a profoundly beautiful truth. And that truth is profoundly beautiful because at this table, as we sit down and receive the body and blood of Jesus, we are beloved. That becomes our deepest identity. As we eat, we become the beloved people of God. And we are welcomed by God not only as guests, but as family. And then we are sustained by His favor and His presence. We are sent with the promise of His ongoing grace into the vocation, the calling, and the relationships that He has given to us. So, recall who bore the blame. Come hungry. Sit and eat. Let's pray.